welcome to our September webinar series, Defending Occupational Exposure Claims. This is part of our regular uh, webinar series here at Lois Law Firm. I'm Declan Gorley. I'm Kristen Kapoor. And thank you very much for joining us today. Uh, if this is your first time, welcome. If you've been here before, then you know the drill. Uh, basically, this is part of our monthly webinar series, one of our educational programs here at Lois Law Firm. Uh, the webinar series runs the third Monday of the month for New York webinars, the fourth Monday for New Jersey. Both Kristen and I practice in New York, so we are preparing, uh, presenting today the New York webinar. Uh, if you, for any reason, want to go back and look at our prior webinars, then you can go to the archive on the website, um, the top banner under webinar series, it says uh, archive, and also there's a registration if you want to register for future ones. This is just one part of the educational uh, component of our firm. We like to reach out to the community. We have a yearly handbook that, that Greg Lois puts out. Uh, it's the new one for 2018 will be coming out very soon. I think within the next two months it will be released. So if you want one, make sure you send Greg an email. Uh, we also have this webinar, obviously monthly, a monthly newsletter with all kinds of updates and uh, wonderful articles, and the firm website itself, which at this point has hundreds of articles, uh, at least a couple of months, sometimes more frequently than others, but especially any, any updates in the law, check out the website. Hopefully, if you have any questions, we can answer it while uh, going today. We, we won't have to ask questions, but if there's any question that you have, feel free to, to type it on the right-hand side of your screen uh, under the, you can see what it looks like. We've taken a screenshot of it. Um, if you don't get to ask the question while we're presenting today, feel free to shoot myself or Chris an email or give us a phone call. Uh, you did get an email handout, hopefully, today with our contact information. Okay, so there are several compensable injury types we are all familiar with. Most common physical injuries, those are our single date of loss traumatic injuries. Uh, there's also mental injuries, which we commonly see as like consequential depression, which is often added on to a physical traumatic injury. But today we're going to be talking about occupational injuries. That includes orthopedic repetitive trauma like carpal tunnel syndrome, exposure cases, and pulmonary cases. And occupational can be either physical or mental in nature. Right. So occupational injuries are latent injuries that take years to manifest and appear. Um, they are compensable if they result from the nature of the employment and are caused by a distinctive feature of the employment. A distinctive feature that is not a geographical or environmental condition that is not um, if you work in an extremely hot or cold environment. Uh, that is not if you have to stand up all day. Those are not distinctive features. Those are not occupational compensable claims. Um, now, defending occupational claims. Now, starting off, we're almost always going to ask you to deny the claim. Um, file your FROI 04. And that gives us time to investigate. There are uh, several defenses. We're going to go through a couple right there that you see listed. Statue of limitations, uh, last exposure, date of disablement, and how we can investigate that and use that as a defense. Causal relationship and medical evidence and apportionment. If the case is established, that is uh, a way we can spread liability uh, to other employers. So we'll start with statute of limitations. So the claimant has two years to bring uh, a claim and that is within two years of when the employee knew or should have known that the alleged condition was due to the employment or within two years of the date the employee was disabled. Now that date of disablement is affixed by the judge. It can be 
their last day of work, um, the last day before they lost time, um, or, the, or the first day they have medical evidence connecting the injury with the employment. And the employee gets to choose uh, between those two dates, whichever is later. So it's actually quite a flexible standard. So the first thing we're going to do uh, to try and investigate and potentially dispute when the condition was known to the claimant, we're going to do medical discovery. That starts with the C3, that's the employee claim form that they file to get their claim started. And on that form, they should have filled out. Uh, there's a portion for treatment history and for them to write out who their treating doctors are. So we want to look at that so we can get names and locations of doctors so we can start subpoenaing records from them. We're going to get a C3.3 filled out by the claimant. Um, that's a limited health release. And then also a broader HIPAA release uh, to obtain medical records from doctors. We're going to cross-examine the claimant as well. Our first opportunity to do that is going to be at the pre-hearing conference on a denied claim. We're going to try and get a treatment history, names of their doctors, locations for those doctors, again, so that we can subpoena those medical records and see when did they first know of the injury and that it was connected to their work. Um, another thing we can get is health records from the employer, um, and those are just, for the entire time the claimant was employed, any records that they have, they can give to defense counsel um, to check on, on that history. Sometimes that would be if they did a pre-employment screening or even drug testing and mm -hmm. uh, things of that nature that come in and part of their pre-employment application, but also some jobs it's required that there's a yearly physical and right. um, also if the, if the employer has any kind of records that the claimant submitted uh, throughout their employment. Right. Okay, so last exposure. Now this goes to that date of disablement that is set by the judge. Uh, and again, generally it's the date the employee first lost time from work or the date the medical diagnosis of causally related condition. Note that the employee can still get benefits if there's no lost time. Um, in occupational claims, just like any other claims, um, they're entitled to medical treatment. Um, and again, the law judge is affixing that date. So some evidence that we can look at uh, to try and defend against uh, last exposure. For example, air quality reports. If an employee is claiming that he was exposed to a toxin in the air and the employer has an air quality report showing that that toxin wasn't in the air, that's a great piece of evidence we can use for defense. Um, time reports, if an employee is claiming that he has uh, harm from noise exposure, maybe there was blasting uh, at his site of employment, we can get his records that said he wasn't at work on days of, uh, of days when blasting occurred, or no employees were on site days blasting occurred. Uh, that can help us defend uh, exposure. Now, we're also going to dispute a causal relationship, which, of course, we need medical evidence, so obtaining an IME is key. Uh, and before you schedule that IME, it is very important to obtain the employee's complete medical history. We want the IME physician to be able to look at that to maybe see if the condition is pre-existing or arose during a period of prior employment. We do not want our IME physicians commenting on causal relationship using only the claimant's subjective complaints. They're going to find it almost every time. Apportionment is a, a defense in New York where Section 44 of the New York law allows us to apportion liability to prior employers. So the last employer is found to be liable, is responsible for paying up the claim, and they can go back and attempt to apportion liability amongst prior employers. This is where it's important to get uh, union records and employment history from the claimant. 
not all claims are subject to apportionment. Occupational lung disease claims, those ending in the OSIS, OSIS conditions, are not apportionable. As far as tactics go, uh, your, counsel, your defense counsel should be going to the pre-hearing conference and immediately requesting that the claim be removed from the expedited hearing calendar. Uh, in New York, the expedited hearing calendar applies for denied cases, but not complex litigation cases. Um, in these cases, most of the time we're denying these, we want time to investigate. So a claimant comes in and says, I have this occupational disease due to my repetitive employment or something repetitive at the employment. We, want, we don't want to just take that at face. We want to have the opportunity to investigate, um, not only ask coworkers and supervisors and review the personnel file, but also to investigate their medical records, uh, to subpoena those treating doctors, to have an opportunity to look into the validity of their claim. Uh, typically, we're going to be asking a law judge to give us 90 days. Uh, most often, we're, that request will be denied, but judges are giving 60 days typically for between the pre-hearing conference and coming back uh, for the second hearing when the claimant will testify or employer witnesses will testify. And at that second hearing is whenever we're typically required to have our IME report in the board file. You also want to investigate whether this claim actually makes sense. So if the claimant's alleging a certain thing, does it make sense that this could be something that uh, he's been exposed to? Uh, we've had claims in the past where someone claims they're exposed to asbestos and they have asbestosis, but we know that there was abatement done three years before the employee even worked for the employer. So uh, that's the type of thing that you're looking for. Also whether we can defend the exposure. So as Chris alluded to before, uh, air testing and reports of such nature will be able to tell us whether we know that there was no such toxin in the air that he's claiming he's got a uh, lung condition from. We also want to review the claimant's self-reporting and their personal health history. So uh, as Kristen stated, there was a C3 that the claimant has to complete, provide his prior conditions. Now, we know that claimants don't always do that or they're very limited, but that may allow us to then go into their medical records or review uh, looking for patterns that would help us defend the case. Every single uh, accidental death in New York is required by law to get an aut autopsy. Uh, in death claims, the claimant will typically, or the, the widow, which is the claimant, will then submit the autopsy report to the board as part of their uh, medical evidence to file for a claim. If they don't do so, we'll often uh, end up having to subpoena the hospital to get that report. As Kristen alluded to before, uh, we have obviously our legal defenses, but also IMEs can be very important. Uh, we don't typically recommend getting an IME until the law judge has found that there's been cause or, that there's a prima facie medical evidence of a cause-related disability. Um, we want to coordinate and discuss with our adjusters who we recommend as far as an IME physician goes. Um, we want to typically be the ones drafting the cover letter or at least make sure that we review the cover letter to give a good idea of what types of questions should be posed to the IME. Um, there's nothing more infuriating than getting back a report that looks favorable, but they forgot to answer the most important question, cause relationship. Uh, this also will often give us uh, a basis to investigate things that we may, since we're not medical experts, uh, what the, the IME may point out as a possible cause, and then we can use that to, cro to cross-examine the treating doctor. Um, you also see the note on the screen about considering an impartial expert. Uh, I've never recommended an impartial expert. Uh, typically, these impartial experts, uh, in my opinion, are not really impartial. They're basically treating doctors who the claimant will typically go to uh, to get their own medical evidence for a causal relationship opinion. There is a list on the board website of these impartial experts that we can use, but as I said, one day they're considered impartial, the next day they're relying on the claimant and adversaries to go to them for causal relationship reports. So I just don't know how uh, valid their opinion or truly impartial their opinion really is. And obviously once we've litigated a case, the judges are going to either 
rule favorably for us or and, and deny the case or dismiss it, or they're going to establish it and find it compensable. As we said before, there's still ways to limit your exposure going forward, even if there is a even if the claim is found compensable. Uh, best case situation is we win, disallowed, don't come back ever again, we're off the hook. Um, even in cases when we have a very strong basis for denying the case, we think we're we're going to win, it's pretty much a slam dunk, it may be uh, a time to think about potential settlement. Um, why we would do so is because obviously this takes time, this takes effort, um, subpoenaing doctors, uh, appearing for depositions, appearing to the, not just the pre-hearing conference but then the subsequent hearing, this is all obviously cost litigation. So sometimes it would make sense if there's an opportunity to get out for nuisance value or a way to limit your potential exposure in the case uh, to settle the case via Section 32. Now at this time, if you have any questions, I will, either myself or Kristen will take them. Yes, go ahead and hit submit if you have a question or if you think of one later, again, email us um, or even if you send it through the screen uh, online, it, it will be emailed to us and we will get back to you. So this morning we did a, an earlier webinar and we had no questions and again, this afternoon, no questions. So I don't know if we've answered everything throughout today or if uh, just a stock top where people have questions as we're doing this, but like Kristen said, if you want to shoot us an email, give us a phone call. Uh, feel free to contact us. We'll hopefully be able to answer those questions. Again, as I said earlier, this is a monthly webinar series. Next month, our IMEs, uh, our topic is at IMEs, Independent Medical Evaluations, October 16th. If you're not already registered, go ahead and do so. And of course, I will leave you with our legal disclaimer. Thank you.